Welcome to Latte with a Lawyer, a podcast dedicated to bringing you the stories of some of America's most successful lawyers, figuring out what makes them tick, how they creatively solve problems, and how others aspiring to be them can follow in their footsteps. Okay, welcome everybody. Uh, Another episode of Latte with a Lawyer. I'm your host, Jonathan Brickman. And this afternoon from California, we've got Scott Lentry with the firm of uh, Whiting, Ross, Abel, and Campbell. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thank you, Jonathan. Good to have you. You're uh, number six today, so you're in the lucky uh, position of cleanup. Yeah, and you get to go home after this, I hope. Well, I'm, I am home, as you can see. <laughs> <in the background. laughs> this is where I step, spend my days now that uh, every, the world is remote, although it looks like you're in an office there. That's correct. Okay, good. Well, just... Uh, for the statistical reasons and to keep with the theme of the show, um, what's your morning beverage of choice to get started? Uh, I'll start, you know, I've switched to tea. I'm trying to watch the caffeine intake a little bit. I'm trying to be a little more mindful, a little bit on the self-care. So I'll have, I'll have about three, you know, 12 ounce teas throughout the day. I'm channeling, uh, you know, Jean-Luc Picard from the Enterprise, Earl Grey hot. <laughs> Excellent. Good stuff. Um, yeah, we got a we got a wide range of people, and again, I keep saying it. Uh, we got to keep the stats because it'd be interesting to post it in the distribution of this. But uh, mm. it's not all coffee drinkers. A lot of people drink water, energy drinks. You know, people with coffee would like. All well, I'm, I'm grateful that you you don't discriminate against us uh, uh, non coffee drinkers. No, no. Listen, I grew up in my family actually drinking tea and. Uh, and now, now I drink very little tea and mostly coffee because it's easy to pour it. Yep. Anyway, enough of that stuff. So um, tell us about the uh, kind of work that you do there. So uh, I work at, as, as you mentioned, the firm name. Yeah. Uh, although since this is shameless, shameless self-promotion, I'll say it again. Whiting, Ross, Abel, and Campbell, LLP. We're based in Walnut Creek, California. And we practice uh, family law, uh, predominantly in Contra Costa and Alameda counties, although uh, we've been known to travel uh, uh, further than that. Uh, uh, And that so we focus on divorce, which in California, we have to be fancy and we call it dissolution of marriage. But I I prefer to just call it divorce, uh, as well as uh, parentage, formerly known as paternity, which is a divorce when you weren't married, but you have children. Uh, uh, we do a fair amount uh, more, I think, after COVID of domestic violence work. Uh, and uh, uh, some of my colleagues enjoy working on premarital agreements, although I personally think that's like saying I do with your fingers crossed, but uh, uh, that's okay. Uh, and uh, uh, we counsel and advise uh, uh, couples. I've got a couple of cases going right now, too, as a matter of fact, right now, where I represent uh, a grandfather. And the and grandfather's co- corporation who got roped into grandfather's son's divorce on a joinder theory. So uh, 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 as it pertains to family law, we'll do most anything. Okay, so it's just under that umbrella. Yes. Yeah. Okay. No estate planning, none of that. Kind that's of correct. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So um, that's good. I like focus. Focus is always good. That becomes you. You build a brand around that, and people know you for that. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I'm learning more and more about less and less. 
Uh, and pretty soon, I think I'm going to know everything about nothing. <laughs> you guys are pretty funny. I talked to another attorney that had me laughing the whole time. You guys have a good sense of humor. Well, in this line of work, you, you kind of have to have it. I mean, but thank know, you. I appreciate I, it. As I said to him, maybe I'll say the same thing to you. If you, if you, you get tired of lawyering, you can always be a stand-up comedian. <laughs> I doubt that. I'll be heckled right off real quick, but you're very kind. Um, anyway, it's all good stuff. I mean, it's 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 tough work, so you got to have a sense of humor. And you're dealing with some pretty sensitive issues there. So, anyway, so I've talked to a few of you guys or gals, and um, and everything in between, I should say. Uh, and um, I want to ask you a question about that because it seems that the trend, and I even asked someone from Wisconsin this, but. Uh, prenup agreements you said they're would you say getting married the fingers crossed i mean that seems to be a trend right everybody has a prenup agreement i always get the question what's going on trend wise right people yeah. are always curious about what's happening in our society and i have to say i i don't have an a, a, an adequate representative sample to tell you uh uh you know what's going on with the institution of marriage or more people making families outside uh uh versus inside and i honestly am not going to speculate um uh all i can tell you is what i see and and this you know and and and, and the survey sample size that comes to me is yeah. always going to be unrepresentative because you know most people getting a divorce or having disagreements with their spouse or or uh the parent of their child you know most people can actually sort sort it out themselves uh okay. in fact i think every person in those categories do have disagreements and they do sort them out themselves. Uh, so I only get the ones that not only can't sort it out themselves, but they need to spend money on a lawyer uh, to help them with it. So I'm, I, I, I honestly, the answer to the question is, I don't know. Okay. Now the, the reason why I ask you is because, you know, in all seriousness, I've talked to other, you know, family law um, attorneys and they they're drafting these agreements before people get married so it, not after the fact when they have issues and try to sort them out so it's, it that seems to be like there is and again it's just anecdotal i don't have any mm -hmm, stats mm -hmm. but people and i should i should qualify the i do with my fingers crossed thing it was it was much more a joke than anything no 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 i get that there I, are plenty I, I, of I circumstances that. where that makes a lot of sense and i support that yeah yeah yeah. I just, it's just i mean because i think people were reticent to do that before but it just seems yeah. to be standard now so yeah it's it's interesting, but it may it makes sense to me, right? I mean, it's really in a lot of ways, not to be too clinical about it, but it is an agreement, right? When you well, it's 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 just like with death. If you die and you don't have a will, the state in which you reside gives you one. Right. If you get a divorce and you don't have a prenup, the state in which you reside gives you one. Right. So you know, do you care to write your own, uh, you know, uh, uh, legal analytical framework? by agreement and for a lot of people the answer is yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah 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 okay okay so so give me like a typical case that you work on or if there honestly were... i <laughs> it's funny typical what is typical uh uh you know well i i guess the best way to answer that is by telling you the issues that typically come up okay uh and uh so if they were married obviously terminating marital status is an issue and and, and that's sometimes can be complicated, especially when we're dealing with, uh, uh, you know, the, the effect that that's going to have on pensions, on on uh, tax, 
ramifications yeah. uh, on uh, uh, employer-provided benefits, health insurance, et cetera. So status, marital status is one if they were married, in fact. Uh, child support is obviously a big issue. Uh, spousal support, very interesting concept. Uh, uh, it's it, it's a very old concept, legally speaking, that's being applied into the modern world today. And it's interesting to see how that happens. Uh, um, child custody, uh, of course, parents disputing about where the children live or decisions pertaining to the children. That's physical and legal custody, respectively. Uh, and uh, uh, property, of course, the characterization and division of property. In California, we are a community property state. Uh, in fact, mo all of the states, I believe, all of the states that were formerly Spanish colonies, including California, uh, uh, are adopted the, the Spanish community property regime. And I have to say that the Spanish were light years ahead hmm. of the Anglos out in your neck of the woods on the East Coast, because, you know, back when all you guys on the East Coast thought that women were chattel, uh, we uh, in California... I say we uh, because I'm not uh, of Spanish descendancy, but we in California um, recognize that the fruits of a marriage, the assets that are accumulated, are as much the property of the spouse that stays at home and tends to hearth and fire and raises the kids than the spouse that goes out and, uh, you know, brings home the bacon, uh, which I, I guess for the rancheros was kind of a literal thing. Um, so anyway, so that's so there's property. And then, um, and of course, uh, a substantive issue is attorney's fees. Uh, uh, lawyers aren't cheap, uh, especially in hotly litigated or complicated cases. And uh, California has an interesting uh, attorney fee rule. Uh, unlike every other area of civil litigation in California, uh, uh, we have an egalitarian fee shifting rule. Okay, So if you know what the English rule is, the English rule, is the loser pays both sides lawyers, okay? Mm. The American rule, which is the default in civil litigation, you know, across the land, is each side pays their own fees. Of course, there's many exceptions to this, you know, but, but that's the general rule. In California family law, we have an egalitarian rule where if one spouse has greater access to funds to retain counsel, uh, we don't want that spouse outlawyering the other spouse. So that spouse is required to contribute to the legal fees of the less well-heeled spouse. Hmm. That's very generous. So I'm sorry to be a politician and answer the question that I wish was asked, but I hope that was sufficient. Oh, oh that's okay. I mean, you're, you're entitled to answer it any way you want. This, right is, this is your, this is your show. So I'm just trying to prompt you with, uh, with questions. I mean, I'm, and, and I'm curious about it too, because I know it does. Yeah. The interesting thing about this country, right. Is things, at least today, very state by state. Oh, yeah. Well, and historically, and with some extremely limited exceptions, um, family law, uh, domestic relations law, is exclusively uh, a matter that's left to each state to decide for itself. Got it. And does it get pushed down any further than the state level? Or is it just at the state? I can speak... Uh, California authoritatively, and the answer is no. And I'd be surprised if any other states allowed localities, you know, uh, 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 you know, uh, counties to enact legislation about affecting marital relations. Got it. I mean, I'm thinking about like some counties, 
in some place where they view the concept of marriage differently than others? Well, okay, so I have a vague historical memory, well, memory of a, of a historical thing, which was common law marriage, okay? Common law marriage was this kind of outgrowth of back in the, you know, imagine the Wild West, okay? A lot yeah. of people living in very rural, very remote areas, and they didn't have access to, you know, the local, it was impossible, you know, in the in the horse and, and wagon days, it was uh, some, you know, it was, it was impractical or difficult for people to to go and formalize their marriage, okay, right. in front of a justice of the peace or whatever. So yeah. some uh, some of these rural areas, and maybe it was a county thing back then. I don't know. Uh, you know, did recognize common law marriage, but then there was a huge backlash against it. I'm talking like late 1800s, I want to say that, and they put a stop to it. So people come and they, when they, they use the phrase common law marriage, I you kind of get a chuckle because that hasn't been around for over. Oh, a so that doesn't even exist. It's just that people still use the expression. I'm not, I can't speak authoritatively about all jurisdictions, but in general, common law marriage was done away with uh, over a century ago, most of the place, because uh, of, you know, social mores at the time that it, it actually led to, um, you know, uh, meretricious or, uh, you know, socially uh, unacceptable non-marital relations, okay, which I we're see. well past that at this point. Uh, and in California, the closest thing we have to non-marital, excuse me, to uh, uh, common law marriage is what we call Marvin relationships. Uh, and um, not to completely go down a rabbit hole, but uh, you remember Lee Marvin from The Dirty Dozen? Vaguely. He's, yeah, he was a big actor in like the 50s and 60s. And uh, you'd see if you saw a picture of him, you'd recognize him. Yeah. And he had a relationship with a woman uh, and she sued him on a contract theory. They were not married. They did not have children. And she sued him and said that he made a contract with me. I forget exactly what the terms of the contract was, but I would support him in his career and he would make sure that I was taken care of financially, something like that. That was our contract. Just two consenting adults making an agreement. And Lee Marvin and his high, high powered, you know, Beverly Hills lawyers, uh, Took this, took this issue up to the California Supreme Court. And they said, look, um, our relationship was uh, sexual in nature, okay, among other things. And if she thinks she's going to get paid for that, that's what we call a meretricious relationship. And so therefore, the contract, even if it did exist, as a matter of law, is unenforceable because it was in furtherance of a meretricious meaning, um, you know, uh, uh, immoral contract. It's essentially, it's, it's the equivalent in common language of a, of, a, of a prostitute suing a John for unpaid fees, okay? Uh, that, that we, we, we all, I think, would agree that, that that claim might be laughed out because that is an illegal contract. So it's the same idea. And you go up to the California Supreme Court, Lee Marvin loses. And the California Supreme Court says, look, that's not a good argument. If two consenting adults have an agreement, and that's an enforceable agreement under California law, then we're going to enforce the agreement, notwithstanding the fact that there's sex involved. And um, uh, and ever since then, from time to time, we get these oh, I, Marvin claims, and really all they are are just contract claims. Uh, uh, and you and the, the problem with that is proving 
the terms of the contract. Mm. But there are lawyers that will do that. And that's handled. That's actually not technically a family law matter in California because it's a civil contract dispute. Got it. Interesting. Very interesting. Mm. I learn all kinds of things from you guys. <laughs> Since I'm not a lawyer, play one on TV. Um, do you litigate? Does your practice, you do, you have to litigate sometimes? Yeah, I, uh, uh, I say this to clients so much, I put it on the bio on my website. Um, Boy, for, for those people you. that I mentioned earlier who need my kind of help. Yeah. Um, uh, and they get escalated to me. You know, uh, this is, okay, this is the standard thing I say in all initial consultations, okay? Just understand uh, my, my approach to what I do and, and the tools in my toolbox that I could use to help you in your issue, okay? You have to understand that our dispute resolution system is binary. There are two ways and only two ways that your case gets resolved. Uh, either you and your significant other uh, have a meeting of the minds, you reach agreements and the lawyers drop the agreements and you sign on the line that is dotted, okay? That's option one. Option two is the judge decides after a full trial on the merits, which nobody wants. Let's be clear. OK, nobody wants that. Uh, but that's it. Those are the only two options. And corresponding to that, you should imagine that I have two and only two tools in my toolbox. Uh, one being uh, the olive branch of settlement. OK, and we must use that olive branch in settlement not only because it's the morally right thing to do, but also because under California Family Code uh, 271, I can be sanctioned, my client can be sanctioned if I do not put in serious efforts to trying to settle the case and trying to cooperate with the other side. Okay, That's the, the counterpoint to the egalitarian fees. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, so we have to use the olive branch. But frequently, especially in cases that come to me, the olive branch isn't going to work. And there's a multitude of reasons why the olive branch doesn't work, but it's not. Okay, so let's reach for the sword. Now, nobody wants to reach for the sword, but, uh, uh, and the sword is, of course, litigation and moving the case forward to having the judge decide it because we can't. Uh, and there's plenty of lawyers that I've seen in my, my, my practice who just want to do the olive branch. And in fact, that's, that's a significant percentage, I think, of a lot of lawyers that do family law, either as their focus or as one aspect of their practice. And, and you know, come on, let's just, do we really have to litigate this? Do we really have to go to the mat on where the kid goes to school? Why can't you two figure it out, okay? Um, and uh, 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 you can't be a one-tool lawyer. Uh, uh, I actually wrote that on our chalkboard in the coffee room today, uh, essentially, you know. <laughs> actually, no, what I wrote was, the secret to raising children and resolving cases, you know, is the carrot and the stick. You need the both. I said you need both the carrot and the stick to raise children and to settle cases, uh, and to resolve cases rather. Right. Uh, so, um, so yeah. So, so litigation is absolutely what we do. It is never ever the first choice, uh, uh, but it's the only you know it's the only way that I I find that I can get good outcomes. And are those jury trials or no no in california only bench trials bench solely okay so you don't get to go in front of a jury and have no no that would terrify me my peers judging me just i at least a judge like i i i, 
I kind of know how the judges are wired. We are in front of the same judges frequently, you know, being in front of a jury. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I really respect the lawyers that do jury trials because they really are putting on a show and, and they're putting themselves out there. Right. Oh, really? You'd be afraid of that. I'm not afraid to say. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, a lot, a lot of the attorneys I talk to, it's like, you know, they live for like to get in front of the jury. I mean, you know, as we know, you know, I mean, most don't go, ever go to, to a jury trial, right? But uh, anyway, interesting. But uh, so that's, a, that's a different experience, right? Going, I mean, you still have to make a case and argue a case and do all that stuff, but you're not at the mercy of... Uh, I put myself on do not disturb, excuse me. Uh, yeah. Um, and it's a much slower process. From, so I've, I've seen a number of jury trials. Uh, I tried to get on a jury once, uh, and I got, I got bumped because Rooted, I was yeah. told, I was told later by my friend who practiced, uh, who's a district attorney, uh, assistant district attorney. The reason why the, um, uh, the defense in the criminal trial bumped me was because they didn't want to try the case to a jury of one was his, his best guess. Uh, uh, because I, during voir dire, uh, the judge had to disclose that I had appeared in front of the judge many, many times. And and uh, so that was no secret that I was a lawyer. Um, but, uh, yeah, it seems from what I've seen in jury trials, I've watched and, yeah, of course, YouTube, a lot of a lot of that stuff on YouTube. It's much slower. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we have a little evidentiary problem that comes up. OK, pause. Got to got to excuse the jury. We got to have an argument. We got to do sidebars. You know, um, uh, it's much judges when it's just a bench trial and the judge is not only calling balls and strikes on the evidentiary issues, but also is the ultimate finder of fact. Uh, uh, there is it's a, some to some degree, it's streamlined by comparison. Yeah, I would think so. Much more soon. And you have probably more control over the outcome, I would think, too. Right. Judges are extraordinarily independent-minded people. I say this to clients all the time as they approach litigation. Like, I'm, I'm going to give you my, my best guess about uh, this. Uh, um, you know, I've handled cases like yours before, so I can make an, uh, a very well-educated guess about a range of possible outcomes that I see for this. Yeah. But quite frankly, every time I go to court, uh, in some way, I'm, I'm surprised about something. Um, and... Uh, 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 and I'm always, uh, impressed by how, you know, you've got one lawyer telling one story and asking for this outcome and another lawyer telling a different story, asking for a different outcome. And then you got the judge who goes the, his or her own way. Uh, so very independent minded people. Okay. But so you have a lot of different judges you're saying, so it's, you don't get used to one. I would, I mean. That's that's very fair to say. I mean, Contra Costa County is the focus of my practice. Uh, and right now we've got one, two, three, four, five, six departments. Um, and there's been some staffing issues. But, uh, uh, you know, I was at judges night last night, which was where the judges sit at a podium and we all have. And then the bar is, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the bar association is there uh, listening to them speak. And so there were four judges on that on that panel. So, yeah. Interesting. Um, so I guess what I'm asking you is because I'm curious, like a jury trial, we have to sort of do focus groups and mock trials and figure out like how things are going to play 
etc. So, so you make sure that your, you know, your argument is compelling as it can be. Do you, have, you don't have to do the same kind of things in front of a judge? There is no cause for doing focus groups in family law when you have a judge. No. Okay. Instead, the the what we do is I'll go around and I'll speak with all of my colleagues here at the firm about who have also appeared in front of this judge. And we'll spitball and we'll kind of try to prognosticate. OK, how is this judge going to approach this issue? OK, but it wouldn't add any value to just have this independent group give you their opinion. The only people whose opinions that I care to hear when, when it comes to predicting the outcome of litigation are people that have had a fair amount of experience litigating in front of this particular judge. Okay. And um, I could tell you that if 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 a layperson non-lawyer fits that bill, that person's got uh, it's, been, it's been too much time in front of one particular. Yeah, judge. yeah, yeah. I I understand. Okay, good, good, good. Um, what what's like your most memorable case that you worked on? Anything really interesting? Yeah, um, and I, you know, and obviously, um, I'll, I'll preface the question by saying that pursuant to Section sixty sixty eight of the California Business and Professions Code, I am required to, and I'm going to quote the statute: I'm required to protect the confidences of my clients at every peril to myself. So, Jonathan, if you were going to torture me right now, I wouldn't give you any specifics as to uh, cases that I've worked on. Uh, uh, but I will say more generally that I've had a couple of cases that essentially you could say I represented um, a parent. I, I won't mind saying in, in these cases that tends to be the father, but not always, uh, who has made a mistake, who has sinned, who has transgressed, who's fallen down in one way or another but generally has done so in a way that doesn't pose a significant threat or a threat at all mm. to the health, safety, and welfare of the children. But that sin, that transgression is received by the other parent, again, not always, but not infrequently the mother, uh, in, in this lumping of cases, as actually it is a uh, 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 good cause for why the father should not have uh, a meaningful and uh, extended impactful relationship with the child. And examples of the sin uh, could include um, infidelity, could, inf could include the kind of infidelity that I was referring to earlier, in case that might get laughed out, okay? Uh, uh, it could include um, a transgression with respect to the property rights. Uh, uh, it could include uh, disturbing the peace of the mother, but not in any way threatening the children. It could include uh, sending harassing or allegedly harassing to all the eye of the beholder, emails or text messages, all of which, by the way, in California constitutes domestic violence. Hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, and as a result, the father is essentially excluded from the, the child's life when they come and meet with me for the first time. And, and I set him down and I say, okay, here's the plan. Here's what we're going to do. We are going to demonstrate uh, to any reasonable person's satisfaction that you do not pose a threat to the health, safety, or welfare of the children. If I can prove that and that, and that it's not detrimental to the child to uh, be in your custodial care. If I can prove that, and I can figure that out real quick. I mean, is this person uh, somebody who... Uh, you know, uh, is is ordinarily a fine and upstanding member of society. 
who has fallen down uh, for whatever reason, or this is this person uh, all around bad news. Okay. And I will only work with the former. And, um, uh, uh, and if I'm satisfied that they are, uh, then um, the tools in my toolbox are, I will be able to demonstrate to the judge, absolutely, that you are not a threat to the child. Uh, and what that means is in California law, um, if I prove that, then this policy of the state is to ensure that children have frequent and continuing contact with both parents after their parents' relationship has ended, because we know developmentally from, from a significant amount of uh, uh, social science research on this, that from a developmental perspective, children who have frequent and continuing contact with both parents throughout their childhood have better outcomes, developmentally speaking, you know, uh, than, than children who don't. Okay. We're talking about college passage rate and likelihood that they'll be convicted of a felony and propensity for drug and alcohol use, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Uh, uh, so in a nutshell, you know, one of the cases that bring me uh, significant amounts of satisfaction are the ones where uh, I can use tools in my toolbox to overcome unreasonable or inappropriate objections by uh, one parent that put, puts up barriers or walls between um, uh, a, a good parent who's made mistakes and um, and the children. And, you know, the, uh, uh, I, the, I actually have a, a phrase for this kind of, it's a narrative, right? It's an, I, you know, uh, uh, it's the redemption narrative, okay? Yeah. Made a mistake, you've fallen down, that's time to be redeemed. And I'll tell you what, everybody loves the redemption narrative. You, like look at, you look at films, you look at music, you look at, you know, uh, uh, world religion, and they're right, all kind right. of right. Best stories are all the redemptive. Yeah, stories. that's right. Because we are, we're all sinners at the end of the day. Right. That's interesting. That's a good way to sort of frame it. Yeah. If other, but the way you have to determine, right, is are they worthy of that redemption? Well, what I have to right? determine that's is past will I work with them? <laughs> that's fundamentally what I have to determine. And I won't tell the redemption narrative unless I believe in it. So. I mean, that segues to something I say to clients all the time, especially clients with, that are going to litigation with me. And that's it's this. You have to understand what I do for a living. I am, and this is not original with me, Posner Dobb is where I heard this for the first time. Um, I am a competitive storyteller. On one set of evidence, I tell one story to the judge. And on exactly the same set of evidence, uh, my opposing counsel tells a completely different story. Right. And the story that sells is the story that that wins. The, the lawyer who sells the story is the lawyer that wins. As I said, it's caveated because judges, it's it's actually more of a spectrum than I buy than binary. They do they more fall on my side of the view or their side of the view? But whatever, it's the same. It's, it's the idea. And uh um and so so you have to understand that I'm a professional storyteller, a competitive storyteller. And here's the secret. Uh, uh, this is a Gary Spence notion. You cannot, cannot tell a story, win, if you don't believe in it, honestly, right. sincerely, truthfully. Okay. True. And, I, uh, and, and here's the thing. I'm in a line of work where people are very quick to call me a liar. Okay. And the way that I um, uh, uh, 
the way that I uh, conduct my practice with that in mind is to the greatest possible extent, I'm a servant to the truth, okay? Um, the objective truth. Uh, and um, uh, because at the end of the day, all I have to sell is my credibility, okay? And in family law, you'll find, especially in most, the most frequent form of family law litigation, which is law in motion, okay, if you know what that is, um, frequently what it looks like is the lawyers are testifying. The lawyers are just spewing facts to the judge, and then they're interweaving argument into the facts. And uh, uh, really what they're doing, and I make a point of this, is I say, Your Honor, as an offer of proof, I say blah, 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 which is essentially me saying, I'm not the one testifying right now, but here's what I believe that the evidence will show if we were to have a trial and you were to receive admissible evidence, which what I say is not, okay? Um, and, uh, uh, and I work assiduously, because this is all I do for a living, to, to protect my credibility and, and that the, the judges know that what I say, they can take to the bank. Mm, interesting. So you mentioned Jerry Spence. Have you attended his college? I have not. I've listened to his audiobook. Ah, interesting. But that's, uh, I mean, the guys that go there, and I was just in LA for a few days at Trial Lawyers University last week. I mean, those are those are right. lawyers, but they, they go to jury trials. Yeah. So but that's so relevant for you. That's why, that's why I was curious. Like, do you have to make those same kind of, you know, persuade the even though it's one, but you still got to, you know, do you have to sort of test your argument to see how it's going to play? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is, yeah. The, the, the answer to your question is absolutely yes. Uh, this is the art of persuasion. It's just persuading judges right. uh, as opposed to laypersons. So there's a big difference. It, and judges are, especially in the family law bench, you know, they've seen it all before, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, and in terms of what I think you're getting at, preparation is everything. Yeah, case um, yeah, yeah. Preparation is everything. Everybody has their own way of preparing. Uh, uh, but um, uh, and a, a big part of it is surveying my colleagues and testing ideas on them. Uh, uh, so in that sense, yeah, I have a lot in common with jury trial litigators. Uh, not that I'm putting on the trial before the trial in front of, you know, a test group that I got off of Craigslist, you know. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, I'm running it through with my colleagues and I'm rehearsing in the shower at home. I'm typing out my talking points, you know, uh, uh, that that's, that's how I do it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Very good. No, interesting. Um, well, listen, just to, to wrap it up here. Um, what do you want people to know about, uh, you and your firm and what's the best way to connect with you? Yeah. Other than the obvious, your website. Yeah. Um, that's a that's a very good question. It deserves some thought. Um, well, I'll take the easy part first. Uh, yes, the, the website is www.disso.com. That's D-I-S-S-O. Yep. As in dissolution of marriage. Oh, that's what that's for. That's what that's from. Ah. Dissolution of marriage. Okay, okay. We, we got the web domain there. Uh, uh, and um, uh, in terms of what I want people to know about me, uh, uh, if you have a need for my services, you want somebody who is absolutely faithful to the truth, 
uh, that can bring both the sword and the olive branch, and we got to use both. Uh, um, we'll try the olive branch before we get to the sword, for sure, okay, unless it's kind of far gone, and sometimes it is. Uh, uh, and uh, you're, you have a, a, an adequate amount of humility to listen to me give it to you straight. Now, I'm going to give it to you straight. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, uh, uh, I'm going to call sin by its name because at the end of the day, uh, people ask me, what is the cause of divorce? Do you think? And I have one word answer. It's sin. Uh, I don't mean to be religious or preaching or anything like that. Uh, and I think you can look at it even in a secular sense, but in all of my cases, I see one or more of the seven deadly ones. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, we're going to identify what the problem is, uh, that's step one. And then I'm going to come up with a plan to resolve it. And the, the, the ultimate benefit that you're going to get with me is you're going to get closure and you're going to be able to find a new mode of existence, a new way of living that at the end of the day might've been better than what you're coming out of. Excellent. It's a good way to close it. Okay, good. Thank you for that. All right. Well, listen, uh, for everybody, uh, this is Scott Lantry, uh, family law, not matrimonial law. And uh, the firm is Whiting, Ross, Abel, and Campbell in uh, the San Francisco or the Bay Area? The San Francisco Bay Area, uh, I'll claim Walnut Creek, California. Walnut Creek, California. And this is uh, sponsored by Emotion Track, which is why I was asking you some of the questions. We are a legal tech platform that helps litigators prepare for mediation and trial. We have this platform where you can tell your story if you're a storyteller and you can see how people feel about it. Um, we capture emotions and also uh, unbiased uh, feedback through questions as well through the platform. So anyway, thanks again, Scott. It was great. Right on, Jonathan. I'll be sure to tell my uh, friends and colleagues at the Personal Injury Bar about your excellent product. Thank you. Thank you. Right on.